You're listening to The Right Women Podcast, a platform created for Black Caribbean female writers and authors who audio scribe their origin stories and their journeys to authorship. I'm your host and storyteller, Empress Zynga. And now, episode 9, Shakira Bourne from Barbados. Shakira Bourne is a Barbadian writer and filmmaker. Her first feature film, the comedy drama Payday, has been screened throughout the Caribbean, USA, and UK. She has written three films since its debut in 2013, Too Smart, Writer, and Co-Director. Next, Payday, Writer and Producer, and A Caribbean Dream, Writer and Director. A Caribbean Dream has been awarded Best International Feature at the Charlotte Black Film Festival. It was also nominated for three National Film Awards in the UK for Best Drama, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actor. Her short stories have been featured in many literary journals. Her self-published collection of short stories, In Time of Need, was released on November 30th, 2013 and won the prestigious Governor General Award for Excellence in Literary Fiction. She was also a finalist for the BERT Slash Code Award for Caribbean YA Literature in 2018. She is also the co-editor of an anthology collection entitled Sensitia, Memoirs of the Caribbean Woman, a collection of creative nonfiction that embraces the female Caribbean sensual experience and has the capacity to empower other women. She was also a part-time lecturer at the Arabar Center for Creative Imagination, University of the West Indies, Cayfield Campus, and is a part-time lecturer in screenwriting at the Barbados Community College. She currently holds certificates in screenwriting from the Barbados Community College and the University of Edinburgh and an MA with honors in Arts and Cultural Management from the Queen Margaret University. Shakira Bourne. Hi, Shakira. Thanks so much for being on the Right Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so my first question to you, as always, as well as to my guests, is how did you become a right woman? How did I become a right woman? Well, I would have to say um, it was the first time I actually wrote something, which is when I was nine years old in primary school. Mm-hmm. So I used to read a lot of Babysitters Clubs and Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Sweet Valley High, um, Enid Blyton. So the first, I remember reading a lot and I was just wondering, I wonder if I could tell a story, like how they're telling a story. Mm -hmm. So my first book was called Jealousy Can Kill. And it was about this kind of love triangle between this green, green, green eyed green-eyed red-haired lady her name was Lily I actually remember (laughs) and um this this quarterback named Zachary and this other person I can't remember her name but it was just this love triangle and it was really just me imitating those authors that I read so frequently Mm -hmm. so yes the first time I became a right woman was the first time I actually wrote something (laughs) in primary school now your book in time of need is Mm -hmm. a collection of short stories from the eyes of a child 
or rather mm-hmm. children. However, mm-hmm. these stories themselves are laced with a lot of heavy topics. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us the reason for doing this as well as your process for this book? Um, hmm. Okay, so the first time I would have written, I would have read a story told from a child's perspective was Olive Senior's um, book called Summer Lightning, and she had a story called The Boy Who Loved Ice Cream in that, <laughs> in that um, book, and it was really about the entire story could be described as a little boy who was desperate for a taste of ice cream and his trials in trying to get ice cream at this fair. Mm-hmm. But what the, what the story is really about was this. It was like this picture of domestic abuse in his parents' relationship. Okay. And I was so horrified. I went like, I read that story. And you know one of those stories where you would shut the book and just stare off in space? Yeah. And I, I was so disturbed. I was disturbed because this little boy could not tell what was going on around him. Mm. He didn't get his ice cream. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> he didn't get his ice cream. And I was just like, this is something I would like to try. So I remember um, having read that story, I decided to try to write my own. And that book, that story became a story called Getting Married, which is the first story in that entire, in that, in in Time of Me. And And I remember that very well. Yes. (laughs) And that story was actually, I I guess you can call it my breakout story because Mm -hmm. it resulted in me getting published by Arts Etc., Robert Sanford and Linda Dean. Beautiful. They published that story, and that was my first um, time being a published author. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I had a, a knack for it, so I tried to do a few others in that using that technique. I even wrote a whole book, um, <laughs> which it, it's still in revision mode. It's been in revision <laughs> mode for the last five or six years, but oh um, wow, <laughs> yeah. So I just I just decided it was just a great way to have like this innocent and naive perspective this point of view so that it's it's like having a harsh literary mirror on society and you can get that through the eyes of a child because there's no judgment there's no bias you're literally just laying out exactly what you see and leaving that interpretation up to the reader beautiful yeah and I remember Shakira, well, I've known Shakira for a very long time, for those who are listening, <laughs> very, very long time. So mm-hmm. I have seen the arc of her work for quite mm-hmm. some time. And you always laugh when I tell this story, but the first time I actually met her officially, because I am a writer as well, so you know you go where Facebook was now the, the thing. You would go online and you would meet really cool people in the the inception stage and everything was so nice and innocent. You could have gone into groups and get feedback and things. And I remember joining her page. I think it was a page at the time or still is. um, Your writer's blog. Let's get right. Get right. Get right. right. I remember that. And my husband was my husband, well, then boyfriend at the time. We were walking through Kate Shepherd, and you were working there, um, freelancing for a completely different business. Won't say oh what God. it was. Yeah. And when we walk in, DJ was like, Oh, this is my friend Shakira. I was like, Wait, use the girl that people on my face, but that tearing at the paper with she mouth. <laughs> I always remember that picture because it was so. It, it held so much truth to us as writers that you get yeah. so frustrated that you just want to like, tear up all of the paper, the paper and start from scratch. 
Yeah. How you started that entire thing? Like, was was that a good idea for you at the time? Was it some yeah. place for you just to <laughs> mentally escape online, just to have a space for yourself and writers, Honestly, or was it a business idea? It was. All right, so it was a combination of all those things, but mainly it was a space to connect with like-minded individuals because at that time, and that was 2008, I believe, I had, no, it was 2009. So I had just quit my job, my first mm-hmm. job, and I had decided I'm going to pursue writing full-time. Mm-hmm. So um, I quit my job and then I sat down. I was like, yes, this is a brand new life. I'm now <laughs> going to be a writer. And I wrote not, a, I did not write a word for six months. I did not write a oh, word. Wow. I had all the time in the world and I just was not in a mental place to write. And I was struggling. Like, and that's why I call Get Right a place for struggling writers because I just wanted to not only document my own experience, I wanted mm-hmm. to, other people to know <laughs> that yes, it's okay to struggle. I wanted them to have the information. Like I, I submitted a lot of stories to competitions. There were a mm-hmm. lot of calls for um, submissions. And I, it was just really a place to talk and find a, a friendship with other struggling writers. Mm-hmm. And I actually started, I, this, the website has been dormant now for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but recently I was like, you know what? I need to start it back, especially since um, I've, I've had a bit more experience now so I can speak about a lot of different things <laughs> in the process. I, yeah. I actually think it will be helpful to other people who are still um, at the beginning of the journey. Mm. Yeah. So how do your stories of black girls in your writing help you start a conversation? Boy, um, how does it help me start a conversation? Well, well, I can tell you what I recently did. Um, okay. So I wrote a children's book. It's called My Fishy Step Mom. Mm-hmm. And it's starring, uh, the protagonist, not starring, sorry, that's a film site. The protagonist <laughs> is, um, a 11 year old Barbadian girl who has just lost who not who has just who has lost her mother and she's very overprotective of her dad mm. and she encounters one of our Caribbean folklore characters okay right? and so I had a, an event a session at Queens College this week and I opened it it was like about 120 130 kids and I opened it by saying how many of you have, know who Medusa is? Mm-hmm. Everybody put their hands. Somebody actually told me the full history. It was well impressed. Wow. Yes. And then I asked, does anyone know who Zeus is? And again, full history, everybody talking at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, does anyone know, know what a water mommy is? Mm. Everyone just kind of looked at each other like, oh, what? Oh, what? Oh, what? Oh, what? <laughs> And then I was like, so who here has been to Greece? Two hands. Who has been to Rome? One hand. Um, you know, who's been to St. Lucia? Half the hands are up. Okay, so okay, so who knows about the Sukuya? Mm. And there was like, you know, <laughs> they were just looking at each other. So that is really how we, I began. I begin conversations. It's like, why don't we have more stories with characters and in settings that reflect who we are as a people? Mm. And that is that is really how I start. If there's a conversation about a black woman or a, a, my story starring a black a black girl, mm-hmm. that's always it. Why don't we have more stories like these? And a lot of the time, and I asked them that question, and they were like, 
well because nobody really writing them down like yes. you know we nobody and I was like that and so this is where we're gonna start I want to hear stories from you mm-hmm. starring people that look like you and in places that reflect your own culture and so that's how I started that session mm. so I don't know if that answered your question but it did <laughs> it did yes yeah. yeah. Do you want each book that you write to stand on its own or are you trying to build like a body of work with mm-hmm. connections between each book? Both. I, okay. I am this type of person. I like having my cake and eating it too. So, <laughs> Go ahead, um, Maria. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so like with My Fishy Stepmom, I... That is a standalone book, although I recently got an idea for a sequel, but it, it was written as a standalone book. But then I also have written, and it is in draft mode right now, mm-hmm. uh, what I call my Caribbean Famous Five series. Aww. So it's like um, a group of these quirky individuals solving mysteries here in Barbados. Sweet. And yeah, so it's called um, The Kafuffle Kid Detectives. <laughs> Love so, the name. Yeah, Just in case so, if there's anybody who's listening who doesn't know what kerfuffle means. Oh, it means um, like causing a commotion or mm-hmm. confusion. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that it's actually an oh, English word. It's not... Yep. Yeah, it's not just a Bajan term. Yes, because you know you would think, "Man, you got me so kerfuffle," and then yes. you got me confused. Yeah, but to other people, it means a commotion or a fuss. Yeah, and luckily for my story, both meanings make sense because mm-hmm. the children are causing confusion and commotion wherever they go. And I like that. Yeah. I like when Caribbean words and Caribbean dialects are used in such a way that they are rebranded for us Mm -hmm. um because the same thing with us being malicious people would say that if you see it on a book somebody who is not from barbados or the caribbean for those who may know the term from that perspective Mm -hmm. might say oh well this means that something is evil or bad but Mm -hmm. to us malicious just means gypsy i want to be nosy and be your business so i find that is is really beautiful when we can take our own um, culture and our own meaning from words that were quote unquote forced on us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No. And that is, I actually have a paragraph like that in the, in the book because the girl has just immigrated back to Barbados. Mm. And so people are using these words to her and she's confused by the meaning. And several times I tell her, look, if you were going to live in Barbados, you need to learn to speak English. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have all of that in there for sure. And, nice. that's, and that's, that's something that's very important to me because uh, all of my stories are actually set in Barbados and mm-hmm. somebody had asked me recently if I would set them anywhere else and I told them at the time at this point in time I don't have much interest in setting my stories um, in a western setting at all mm-hmm. because one you know is where I'm from and I and part of my goal is to expose Barbadian culture to the world mm-hmm. I mean it's not to say that if an opportunity presents itself to me and is on a remote island or you know it's some sort of fantastical setting I won't do it but at the at this point in time my main goal is just to get Barbadian stories out there Mm. well you are not only a novelist but you're also a playwright and a script writer for film and in addition to being a novelist so is there a particular genre that you like more 
know that you've got um, your feet wet? I always tell people that um, short fiction is my soulmate and screenwriting is my outside lover. <laughs> and I stick to that because honestly, it comes down to the final product. Like, for example, with a short fiction, I can tell a story and I can tell it exactly what I want. I have full control, you know, mm-hmm. pr- providing the editor agrees. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but then with film, it is a, it's teamwork, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't really have full control of the final product, no matter how much you would like to. It's, it's like a combination of different people's creativity and ideas. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it would not come out exactly like how you pictured it in your head due to like budget due to all sorts of different circumstances but I do like screenwriting like the the struct not the struct yeah actually the structure and the blueprint I like writing scripts I like thinking visually mm-hmm. so it's not to say that so that's why it's my outside lover that's why I can never marry <laughs> but you know every once in a while I'll go and get my end of muff treats you know but I always <laughs> come back home <laughs> tell my soulmate because that's where I'm most comfortable and that's sharp fiction Hmm. Sharp fiction right now or novels. Okay. Yeah. How was it for you coming from a novelist into playwriting and script writing for film? I writing for film. Was it a, a difficult transition? Was there a lot to learn? Or did you just like jump in it after you got um, the technique down? Let's see. Um it, I wanna say it was difficult. It was just different. Um, and I think it helped because when I was introduced to screenwriting, um, I had, it was a class. Mm-hmm. So it was not something that I pursued on my own. Mm-hmm. So, and, and by the way, I totally got into script writing by, by accident. I thought it was going to be a creative writing class and mm-hmm. it turned out to be script writing. Okay. So yes, like complete accident. And I just decided, oh, I might as well stay since I already got scared. Right. So I realized that writing visually was something that I had a knack for and mm. writing scripts came very easily to me. So I did have my, the guidance of my teacher at the time, that's Esther Jones, shout out Esther. Yay. Um, and she would have guided us through the process, like um, the tree app structure, um, writing log lines, doing um, treatments. So she was there every step of the way. So it was, it was different, but I wouldn't say it was hard at all. Okay. Um, for playwriting it was much harder for mm. me and it's actually my least favorite thing to write okay because i mean i i like writing dialogue so playwriting was was good in that aspect but i found it very difficult to picture everything on stage because it's not something that i know mm-hmm. or i have experience with and then i did not actually have a class to guide me in each part of the process okay so i felt very lost um, while writing plays mm-hmm. um, and though I like my final product still it, it it definitely was a bit harder for me and I quickly ran back to screenwriting <laughs> <laughs> so um, even writing the musical the mu- writing the musical was even harder because no you're you're adjusting to the play and the stage mm-hmm. you're adjusting to um, showing visuals through dialogue but then you actually have to adjust to telling the story through music. Yeah. So it, it, I don't want to say it's difficult. It's just an adjustment. And if it's something that you really enjoy, if you like experimenting with different writing styles, I actually think that it's something that a lot of people should try. Like they should just step out of their comfort zone every now and again, just to see 
you know, how good they, they may be at a particular um, channel or genre. Mm. I find yeah. that with young playwrights, I'm, I am still a young playwright, no matter what anybody <laughs> tells me. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially coming from off the stage of acting and directing to actually sit and write a play. Like writing is my first love. And the performing aspect came after. But I find as playwrights, we get into the romanticism of seeing the play up already instead mm. of just writing it. Mm-hmm. And big ups to Sonia Williams, who if has not been on the podcast as yet, she mm-hmm. will be. Um, <laughs> she has been my writing mentor now for so many years now. And the first mm-hmm. time I ever started to like write a play, I was like, yeah, but when it get direct, um, this is she look, she's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? What are you doing? You, this ain't have nothing to do with directing. This about writing. Why are you directing a play? Well, you writing? Wow. You supposed to be writing a play. So write the play. Let the director wow. decide what is supposed to happen on the stage. And from the time I just let go and let the story do what it was supposed to do, everything mm-hmm. got immensely easier. Because oh, go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Because. I guess too, because I am all three at the same time, I, I try to write for the actor because I'm an actor and I know sometimes people who only write might not get what um, an actor might be looking for or might want to read or want to say or what the character wants to say. Mm-hmm. Then in the back of my head, I'm also a director, so I'm also trying to put on that hat and say, you know, if if I was going to direct this, I, I want the, the thing to look like that and look like that. Poor me now. I'm trying to write, but I try to put on the other two hats at the same time. And it's going to be a mass case of confusion. If you're going to write, just write it. Forget about everything else and let, let when the other things supposed to come, they will come and they will sort themselves out. But as Sonia says, just write the thing. <laughs> I got to say it is only at this moment now that I realize that what I always thought was my weakness may actually be a strength, which is that I don't know how to direct a play. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not an actress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a writer, I was just focusing on the story. Yeah. But I, I, I got to say, I was disturbed at the fact that I couldn't visualize it on stage. No, you should visualize it, visualize it as a writer. Mm. That, so, you know is- what? That is, that's from my experience. Hmm. You know what? You, you may be right. So maybe I was putting myself under pressure. Yeah. Unnecessary pressure while writing it, please. Yes. So now look, with this new information, I may decide to go and write a play now. No, you <laughs> have to visualize things on stage. Mm-hmm. Just focus on the story. And maybe it'll be a more enjoyable experience next Yeah, time. man. Just just enjoy the process of writing and being in the moment that you're supposed to be in. In that case, yeah. in the hat of a writer. It's so much easier said than done. And I wish that I could say that I was a I do as all advice is, which is to just write the first draft and get it on paper. But I am a horrible self-editor. <laughs> and I mean the benefits of it is that when I finish writing my first draft, it is normally a pretty good first draft. <laughs> but I do have to admit that it t- it delays the process a little bit mo- longer. So I would still encourage everyone to just vomit it out on paper. Give yourself permission to write badly, please, and then <laughs> fix it afterwards. And I will be honest and say it's still something that I struggle 
with doing. Yeah, me too. This last book that I wrote, my fishy set mom, mm-hmm. it was a combination of an old script, uh, old TV episode that I had written for a TV series that never wow. got produced, and a short story that I had written that. I just knew was not good enough to be published. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of the ideas and some scenes from both of those things. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Now throughout your entire journey thus far, you mm-hmm. have amassed a lot of awards, <laughs> <laughs> awards and certificates and publications. I mean, the, the first film you ever did was very well received. um you you've done anthologies um is it since i can't i can't i just try to pronounce that i may tell you right (laughs) now but thank you for that um you've even had government general award um from nifka you had all sorts of things just piling in piling in you've been asked to fly overseas and do workshops and seminars at universities yeah. and all type of things you got me sound good man <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it is what happened it's fact but i mean like throughout your evolution like from on from paper to stage and screen and all and everything that you have done like i know that there has been a few backlash comments mm-hmm. with people who might not have feel might not have felt that who won wasn't justified enough to win for whatever reason because as you say you're not as strong as a playwright as you are a novelist or whatever the case is and Mm -hmm. maybe there are people in the industry who may have had um a wealth of films for example Mm -hmm. and and probably felt like how how she got him true yeah Um, she she shouldn't be getting all of these things that would say for every sense and this is not Mm -hmm. fair what what would be your comment to that well firstly i don't I can't control who hires me or who comes to me for a story. People come to me because they connect to my stories for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. And if they have, and they see me on, they see that I would be suitable for a project because of the style and the voice that I have amassed over the years. Mm-hmm. So you really can't, you can't, you just can't control that. You just really have to focus on the story Mm-hmm. and focus especially on the project because if you get too caught up in the criticism or if you get too caught up with it it would really stop you from being creative yeah and it's like it would be like a mental burden and it's not to say that you would ignore certain criticism because but i am i am always asking for feedback on my stuff and i think that's something that um has helped my development as a writer Mm-hmm. even when I think you talk your foolishness I still listen <laughs> I, I'm so serious I still listen I think about it and after a couple of days I might be like okay this person is talking foolishness but they have a point right here you know mm-hmm. and that's maybe something that I could do going forward mm-hmm. so I and I just always have respect for the work I guess you could say it. I always yeah. try to do my best at that particular time and I acknowledge that if I had if, if I could have done if I could do better I will next time yeah and I think that that's also why a lot of people work with me as Mm -hmm. well because I want taking their opinions taking feedback and then I always give my best Mm -hmm. so um again you you have to drown out 
you you really do have to drown out that noise and i think once you remain honest and authentic especially in the story that you are trying to tell and that is so important because a lot of the criticism sometimes comes when people expect a particular story from me mm. and they, they're not getting it mm. or maybe it's not what they expected is something different mm. right so you have to understand the type of story that you are writing and that you are telling so that when this criticism and the noise comes in you are able to separate the good constructive criticism from the bad or from pe- not bad necessarily bad people that maybe necessarily didn't they miss the point or the theme that you were trying to get mm-hmm. so it's really you have to be true to yourself and true to the work and just filter out the criticism at that is art art is subjective no one person will like everyone will never like everything that you do it's just it's just a fact and it doesn't mean anything about you as a person it may be just that they didn't relate to the story for a particular reason but it's always different taste exactly so it's just separating what you think could be constructive and help you better your skill Mm -hmm. versus what may not necessarily be (laughs) very good um feedback Mm. i hope i answered your question in some way yes (laughs) (laughs) and now an excerpt from White Sands, a short story from Shakira's award-winning book, In Time of Need. It's my first time on an airplane. I can't believe I'm on an airplane. I inhale the strange artificial smell of the plastic gray and white inside. Should I ask for some tea? Tea on a plate with packets of white sugar on the side. I don't really like tea, but it seems that I should be drinking it on a classy plane like this. I wonder if I will get to ring a little bell, one of those cool silver bells that make the light ding ding sound and have someone serve me the tea in a little teacup with that pretty pink and green flower pattern around the edges. Will I get to puff up my chest and sip the hot drink, hold it with three fingers and my little fingers sticking out in the air? I can't wait to surprise mum and call her at her workplace from long distance when i get back home the first thing i will do is put it a landline so we don't have to climb up that hill sweaty feet slipping on the grass then through that muddy cart road to our nearest neighbor just to make a phone call i feel like a beautiful rich princess flying all over the caribbean And if the smiling lady sitting at the front of the airplane didn't tell me to stay still and to remain in my seat, I would dance up and down the plane. I'm on an airplane! I plop back in the chair, ignore the shout from the person behind me, and take a deep breath. Back home, mom does everything she can to provide for my little brother and me. Things got even harder when dad got sick and died and mom had to work two jobs. I wanted to drop out of school and get a job, but she wouldn't let me. So I was forced to look at her tired body limping through the door every night, falling into a hard wooden chair, flinching in pain as she eased her sore hands in warm water and chamomile lotion. The skin blistered from hours spent in bleach. I peeped at her every night from between the cracks in the bedroom walls, her face full of misery. 
but if she heard anything sounding like our footsteps on the boards, she would force a smile on that face and start to sing one of her favorite gospel songs. <sighs> Mom believes in being thankful for the things you have in life. So it was only when the arthritis in both her knees acted up that she agreed to let me come to the Rampersads to help her clean some of the rooms in the higher parts of the house. To this very moment, I do not know how Mr. Rampersad is able to walk like a cat on tiles with those shiny heels on his bright expensive shoes. But when he caught me staring at the beach again, I decided to hide my shame and give him a big smile. Soon I was telling him how I wanted to be a nurse and how I'm studying really hard to get through CXCs to get into school. He told me that I am a brave girl who should not give up and that I can get advice from him whenever I want it because he can sense I have a lot of potential. Mr. Rampersad asked me if I would ever consider modeling because I have the height and physique that many models dream of. He told me that he recently invested in a promising agency in Barbados and he could get me an interview. I smiled and turned it down because mom would never allow me to accept charity from Mr. Rampersad and I needed to be there to help her. When he told me how much money I could get from one show, my mouth dropped open. I knew that even if mom worked three jobs for a year, she could never make that much money. She was still sleeping when I packed. I wrote a short letter telling her how much I love her and that I hope she will forgive me. I peeped through the crack in the bedroom walls at her face full of pain even though she was resting and a small tear slipped down my cheek. I looked at my little brother lying next to her still too young to understand anything that was happening around him and I had to hold in my sobs not to wake them up. For one moment I stopped wondering if I was doing the right thing I would have changed my mind had I not seen the big hole in the living room. I took a long look at that shabby house and gently closed the door. Now I'm on an airplane. An airplane that just landed in beautiful Barbados, the country where my name will be famous. I touched the furry material of the seat and I imagined the feel of the fancy clothes I am going to wear. The soft silk satin and the velvet made by top designers people clapping as i walk by a smiling lady interrupts my dream welcoming me to the beautiful island of barbados outside a tall woman with yellow hair is holding a sign with my name she says she is aunt tara and gives me a big hug and tells me welcome to the family on our drive to the hotel, she explains that I have to pay for my board and food, but with all the money I can make, I will hardly notice the deductions. She warns me about all of the dangerous people out there ready to take advantage of innocent girls and advises that I keep my passport safe at all times because it is worth a bundle of money and that she keeps her passport in a safe with a combination lock. I am so scared that I ask if she can keep mine along with hers as she gives me a little squeeze on my shoulder. 
I am very let down when I see the room. It is very plain with pale red walls, a small table, a closet, and a bed. The bed sheets seem old and worn. I must remember to ask Aunt Tara if I can stay somewhere else. I open the closet and gasp. On the hangers are a lot of outfits. Gold and silver slinky dresses, jackets with beads and feathers, stretchy shirts and pants. The styles are like nothing I have ever seen before. Some of the clothing seems a bit too tight and revealing, but I suppose Aunt Tara will have a needleworker on hand to fix anything that doesn't fit. I pull across the curtains at the window and take a sharp breath because I cannot believe my eyes. It is a beautiful view of the beach, a beach with nothing but white sand, just like how I've seen in the magazines. There are a few benches under big white umbrellas that I can sit on and stare at the beautiful sea. It takes me right back to the view from Mr. Ramprasad's balcony and I smile at how far away I am from there now. What would be your advice on getting published? Um, I've been asking this throughout the podcast interviews because there are numerous people, myself included, who um, have gone down the road to self-publishing and mm-hmm. sometimes some of the work, I always go back to Fifty Shades when they mm-hmm. had that big um, debacle online. Everybody was saying, oh, well, this book isn't good. It's very laughable. This person went and, and self-published this book and it wasn't very good. So mm-hmm. is it good to be self-published? Do you think you should get an editor or what were the steps that you took in order to be published by either by yourself or by a publishing house. Okay, so I hope you have your sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about there's no good or bad. Um, mm-hmm. Both techniques, first of all, both techniques are unique congratulations because it means that you have finished a book. Whether you decide to self publish or be published by a traditional person, it means that you have finished a body of work. And you're already a step above most people who just want to write a book and never actually found the time or had the skill or, you know, the know how to complete it. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. So because of that, none of these routes are good or bad and mm-hmm. both come with different challenges. Yeah. So if I talk about the self-publishing route, um, I self-published my first book of stories, but because I wanted one place to have all of my short fiction Mm -hmm. so i have been published with different um anthologies this place online so when somebody came and was like where can i find your work i will they i will list off all these different places and i will watch as their eyes kind of glaze over (laughs) (laughs) it was really about just having all of my work in one place and that was my main reason for Mm self-publishing so at that time i didn't think it was necessary to approach a traditional publisher because you know that my main goal was just to have all of my stories in one place Mm -hmm. and maybe use it as like a marketing tool to show up to show um the type of writing that I like to do Mm. so um for that um what I said before about being true to the work and respect for the work because of that I will always advise for you to get an editor no matter if it's self-publishing or um with traditionally published work you would have your agent or um your beta readers to look over it but basically you need to have a second opinion or somebody to give you feedback 
on the work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, apart from like spelling and typos and grammar, just feedback on if the work is as good as you think it is and if it deserves to be published. Mm -hmm. so, yes, in, in, um, to your question, I did get an editor, Bigger Adonijah. Yes, so he edited those stories for me and then I self published them on Amazon. Mm. Um, for the other, okay, so for the other book, which is my children's book, mm -hmm. I really wanted that book to be, um, all right, so I, I wrote that book for this competition called Code Bert Award. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, the three shortlisted titles would get a book deal. Okay. And Code would actually purchase 2,000 copies of the book to distribute throughout the region. Mm -hmm. So it was like a good publishing and distribution deal. And I really wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I had nothing to do at the time. A project I had done had just been canceled. Mm -hmm. So I had about a month that I could just literally spit out, talking about self-editing, literally spit out this story for this competition. And I was fortunate enough to be a finalist. Mm. So through that competition, I was able to get a published work. So my second bit of advice would then to be look at what opportunities there are out there in terms of competitions that would probably fast track your way to getting traditionally published. Mm. However, if a person wants to be published in the U.S. by a traditional publisher, um, the first thing I would advise is for them to get an agent because um, in order to have access to these particular publishing houses, the larger ones, you do need an agent to represent you as an author. There are some small presses that you could submit um, directly to who, who accepts unsolicited sub submissions, mm -hmm. but in general, the larger publishing houses um, would only accept work from agents. So the first thing I would do is research how to get an agent. I literally Googled how to get an agent and I started from there and just to try to get an agent to represent you. So as you can see, each path comes with, with its own challenges, mm -hmm. but there is definitely no good or bad way. It all just depends on what you want for yourself and the work. Okay. Yeah. What advice would you give to other aspiring right women? Somebody who has the idea for the book, as you mentioned mm -hmm. before, but isn't ready or doesn't know or has fear in taking that next step. Okay. Um, give yourself permission to write badly. To me, the fear comes from us thinking that we're not good enough. So if you accept that this draft or whatever I'm going to write right now is going to be shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. Okay. <laughs> it's artistically correct. So, if, so we can if, go ahead. <laughs> if you give yourself permission to write badly, immediately you get rid of that number one fear that's preventing you from writing. Mm. So give yourself permission to write your story badly on the first try and to just get it down and then know that you will fix it later. Mm. So that, that would be my, advice to them write give yourself permission to write badly and just write sweet yeah uh, my last question is usually a surprise question hopefully yeah. nobody else hears this before i interview them <laughs> but um i am building a online 
um, digital library for people to just ex exchange books that they have read um, that they they think have meaning or value it as I tell everybody it doesn't have to be um, from Caribbean women but I would love it um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily fiction either mm -hmm. um, anything that you th you think can be added to the digital bookshelf mm, three yeah. books three books yes okay um okay i would three books sorry you literally right all these books are zipping through my head <laughs> and i'm trying to decide on three so the first one because I spoke about it here will be all the seniors, Summer Lightning, mm -hmm. Nala Hopkinson's Brown Girl in the Ring, because oh. I really looked at that book. <laughs> and the, the third thing that came up, I don't, she's a Jamaican author, but she's also a U.S. author. Oh, that's so, fine. It is Nicola Yoon's Everything, Everything. Oh, that's a nice book. Yeah. Um, but literally all these different books are in my head i literally also thought about karen's book redemption and indigo yes and that should be there i thought about um because we just have remember i said we just have the book right here all over again but mm -hmm. okay so that is one two mazinga this is too hard you can't <laughs> like i literally got all these books in my head that i would just love for so many different people to read not only because it is written by a, a woman of color but because it's just different styles mm -hmm. i i i know books are supposed to be fun and enjoyable and entertaining first that is for me mm -hmm. right when i'm writing something it is um enjoyable it has to be enjoyable read first and then theme after and a lot of books that I find when you ask people to give recommendations, they're good books, but the theme is first rather mm. than Bible read. Mm. So I, and, and, and we always get in, caught into this. <laughs> how, how do I put it? People expect that as a black woman, I would read particular things or I would recommend. Right. So maybe if I recommended a, simple fantasy book that is enjoyable you know people be like oh but I thought you maybe would have recommended something that was a bit um had a heavier theme or showed trauma of a person going through this particular instance like for example um the hate you give which yeah I kind of loved it but it's not a book that I will ever read again I, I, yeah this is like it's, it's the same reason why I find it difficult to watch um like Ava's recent series when yes when they like, see us yes but I find that sometimes as a black woman people expect that these are the things that I would recommend or things that I would <laughs> advise people to watch I mean as again it is good but I find that sometimes you have to remember that black women just like enjoyable reads too <laughs> you know yeah you do like the reads as well yeah so we're very like, dynamic beings Exactly. You know, we don't always like to read about trauma. Yep. So that is why when I taught about three books, I wanted a mixture of Caribbean. I wanted a mixture of a book that was just such so entertaining. And then another book that was emotionally touching, mm -hmm. but also 
from a Caribbean author. Yes. Yeah. I get you. I'm yeah. still with you. Yes. But yeah, give me a ring chat because <laughs> more, I swear we'll come back to you about 15 titles. <laughs> that is totally yeah. fine. Before yeah. we go, what is the space um, that we can find you on online? Um, oh. Any platforms we can find you online or even an email yeah. address? Yeah, well, you can. I have a website, Shakira Born, Shakira with an H, born.com. And on that website, you'll be able to find links to my Twitter, my Facebook, and even my email address there. So I would just direct people to the website. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for hanging out. I had a really good time. Actually, get to interview my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You made me think. You made me think. I spill all my guts. <laughs> ah, you're still here. Great. Stay tuned for next week's episode, episode 10, with Naila Imoja from Barbados. You're right about students today not wanting to read. Yeah. But what I do is I go into the classroom, just for every classroom, my first time I'll say, who likes to read and you'll see maybe two three hands go up out of 30 mm-hmm. i'll say who likes to watch tv mm-hmm. everybody hands hand. go up. Mm-hmm. who likes movies all <laughs> the hands go up who likes music all the hands go up who likes dancing mm-hmm. like watching people dance all the hands go up i say who likes um video games mm. double hands go mm-hmm. up. <laughs> and they all wonder why i'm asking these questions and then i stop and i say well all of that Hey, bookworms, what's going on? Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about the podcast, you can visit empresszinga.com slash the right women podcast. That's empress, Z-I-N-G-H-A, to see our growing digital bookshelf and past episodes. You can also drop us a line at the right women podcast at gmail.com. I've been your host and storyteller, Empress Zynga from Barbados, reminding you to always believe in your magic. See you next chapter.